Well, this morning we're continuing in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 14 through 16. Well, not really, just verse 14 this morning. But we take this as one portion here, 14 through 16. And this morning could be the shortest sermon that is ever preached at Faith Bible Church. Because we're going to talk about something that is so straightforward that any child, any adult, any new believer, even any unbeliever could understand what we're about to talk about. There's seven words, seven words that are so easy to understand that we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of the Greek. We don't have to do a bunch of cross-referencing to try and figure out what Paul means by what he says. In fact, it's so straightforward that you could teach this in the nursery, in a Sunday school class, in the youth group, and everyone would understand exactly what you are saying. In fact, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and let me read these seven words for you. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We could pray right now and close in the benediction and all go home and we would understand exactly what Paul means by what he says here in verse 14. We're not going to do that. This won't be the shortest sermon in the history of Faith Bible Church. In fact, this is going to be a two-part message. A two-part message, because what I want to do this morning is, I essentially want to do a Bible study with you. This morning is going to be a Bible study. I, I just want to open up the Scriptures for us, and we're going to walk through some passages, some different passages in our Bibles this morning. And we're going to be looking at a few passages both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Some people will say of us, you're always in the New Testament, why don't you ever preach the Old Testament? Well, I'm preaching the Old Testament this morning. We're going to get into some of that. And we're going to be looking at the topic of grumbling. Grumbling, something which none of us ever do, right? (laughs) Don't ever grumble. Of course, every one of us has been guilty of this sin, of grumbling and complaining. We've all grumbled, we've all complained at some point, and so this message here, this verse here in Philippians 2.14 is very relevant for us. This morning we're going to look at some examples of of grumbling to get a, a better picture of what God thinks about grumbling. Now those of you who have older siblings, you have older siblings, you've probably learned a thing or two from them. Both of things to do, but also things not to do. Right? You learn from them. They set the example. They were the ones who got disciplined. They were the ones who pushed the buttons. And you learn from them. Of things not to do. Some of you may be that oldest child going, yeah, I remember being that example (laughs) to my younger siblings. 
and you taught them. You taught them things. The older siblings at some point were an example for the younger siblings to follow. And in the Christian life, we not only have other believers, brothers and sisters around us to follow as an example, but God has also given us a people to learn from. A nation to learn from. A very specific people that God chose Himself. And that is the nation of Israel. We have a lot to learn from Israel. In fact, Paul tells us of them in 1 Corinthians 10. And so I would encourage you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 10 as we look at what Paul tells us about this nation of Israel who is an example to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, notice that they were baptized into Moses. Moses. Notice what he says there in verse 2. That they, that our fathers, that is Israel, he's talking about here, they were all baptized into Moses. What is he talking about here? What does he mean that they were baptized into Moses? Well, it simply means that they were immersed in Moses or that they identified with Moses. And what Paul is talking about here is that Moses was their leader. He was the one whom God chose to be the leader of the Israelites to bring them out of slavery in Egypt. They were all under the leadership of Moses. Moses was God's chosen leader for Israel, and they were to follow God under the authority and the leadership of Moses. And so as this group of people, as, this, as they were this nation, this group of people, there was this oneness with them. There was a oneness as they all followed Moses as their leader. In fact, Paul uses the same phrase, baptized into, in Galatians 3.27, referring to us as believers being baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27, he says this, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Some might hear that, baptized into Christ, and, and they might think of water baptism, right? Oftentimes we hear of baptized and we think of being immersed into water. We understand that that is an ordinance that God gives us that we are to do as a first act of obedience as believers. That we're to be baptized. We even hear that when somebody is baptized. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And so we could look at baptized into Christ and you might think of water baptism, but that's not what Paul is talking about there. Paul's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about being immersed in Christ. That's simply what baptism means, to be immersed. That's why we don't sprinkle That's why we don't sprinkle babies. We don't sprinkle adults. Because the very word means to immerse, to be immersed in. And as Christ is our leader, we as believers are immersed in Him. 
We are baptized into Christ. And therefore, there is a oneness that exists among us. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united. We are unified under the leadership of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We've all been baptized into Christ, those who are believers. And the same was true with Israel. They were united or unified, and there was this oneness as a nation under the leadership of Moses as they were baptized into Moses. Then look at verse 3. Notice what Paul says there. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. In fact, did that generation make it out of the wilderness? They didn't. That, dinner, that generation was so disobedient to God that only two men who were over the age of 20, Joshua and Caleb, were the only ones to make it out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Out of the whole entire nation. The nation that God delivered from Egypt. Only two men over 20 years old would make it into the promised land. Now look at what Paul says in verse 6. He says, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. There it is, our older sibling. All of this happened as an example for us, so that we would not follow in the same footsteps as Israel did. What are some of the things that we can learn not to do from Israel? Well, notice what Paul says as he continues on in verse 7. He says, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. What's he talking about there? This is the golden calf. This is Exodus 32, where they tell Aaron, build for us gods who will lead us. Moses is not here. He's up on Mount Sinai. He's not coming back. Will you build for us gods who will be our leaders? They became idolaters. Idol worshipers. Then notice what he says in verse 8. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. This comes from Numbers 25. This was them worshiping Baal of Peor. They became immoral. 23,000 fell in one day. God struck them down. Look at verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. This here is talking about Numbers 21. When the Israelites complained in the wilderness and God sent serpents to take many of them out because they tried the Lord. And then notice what it says in verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Notice four examples here that Paul gives us of the Israelites of what we are to not do, 
how we are not to follow them. Idolatry, immorality, testing the Lord, and grumbling. In fact, Paul tells us there, then in verse 11, notice what he says there. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. For us today, as a church, as a New Testament church, they're written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. What Israel did has been written down for us in our Bibles as instructions for us of what we are not to do. And while there are four examples there of what not to do, we're only going to look at one of them. This morning we're going to look at grumbling. See, Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 10 that Israel was a nation full of grumbling people. And their grumbling started right after God had delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 15. In fact, turn over there in your Bibles to Exodus 15. I want to show you what Moses has written down for us in Exodus about this nation of Israel and what they did. Exodus chapter 15. Now let me just back up in, in, into chapter 14. In chapter 14, we read about how Moses led Israel out of Egypt, and then Pharaoh came after them. You guys remember the story? You've learned it in Sunday school, I'm sure. Moses led the people out of, out of Egypt, out of their slavery in Egypt, and Pharaoh then comes after them. He changes his mind and he comes after them. And when the Israelites then saw this happen, as they saw Pharaoh coming after them, they were terrified as they were backed up to the Red Sea. They had their backs to the Red Sea. And then they asked Moses if Moses led them out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. Uh, Moses, here we are. We've got nowhere to go. Our backs are up to the Red Sea. Did you take us out here just so we can die in the wilderness? And they asked him, is it because there were no graves in Egypt? Could we not have died there? <laughs> just leave us there and we'll die there. But you brought us out into the, wilder the wilderness so that we could die here? What happens with the nation of Israel? They already begin their what? They're grumbling. They're complaining. It already began. And they begin to grumble and complain against Moses at this point. But what does God do? God parts the Red Sea. And they all go across on dry land. Dry ground. God dried it up for them. He put the waters up. Big walls of water. And they all walked through the Red Sea as God delivered them. And then as Pharaoh and all of his men came after the Israelites, when they made it into the Red Sea, what did God do? He closed the waters. He killed the Egyptians. God was protecting his people. Not only did he deliver them, but he was also protecting his people. And then in chapter 15 of Exodus, in verse 1, 
they all begin singing to the Lord. Notice what it says there. Then Moses and all the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider has, he has hurled into the sea. We even see Miriam down in verse 21 who's dancing and singing. In verse 20 there, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. God saved them. And what did they do? They begin to praise him, right? And sing out and praise and adoration for all that God has done for them. Think about the excitement of the people at this point. As they turn around, the Egyptians are coming after them. In the middle of the Red Sea, God closes it and they all die. And they're excited for what God has done in their life. But then look at chapter 15 and verse 22. Notice what it says there. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people, notice this in verse 24, so the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Three days. Notice that. Three days, and they've already forgotten about how God had delivered them from the Egyptians. The miracle that God did in parting the Red Sea for them to walk on dry land and then destroy the Egyptians. Three days. One commentator says three days is not a very long time, but it is long enough to forget the great victory and power. God. And what did these people begin to do? They began to grumble. They began to grumble. And it was just three days before this that they were all singing praises to God. In chapter 15 there. They're singing praise and adoration to God. But how quickly people can turn from praise to complaining. Right? In fact, go, just go stand in a long line after church at the store and <laughs> examine yourself. See if you'll make it through without grumbling or complaining. Have somebody cut you off on the, the drive home and see if there won't be grumbling and complaining. How quickly our own hearts can turn from praise to grumbling. And complaining. What did God do for them? He provided water for them. Even though these people were grumbling and complaining after God had done a, a miracle for them in delivering them from Egypt. They grumble and they complain because they don't have water. And what does God do for this grumbling people? He provides water for them to drink. Now look at chapter 16 in verse 1. Notice what it says there. Then they set out from Elim 
And all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. Now, if you were to study this, this journey that they took and the timing of this, you, you could see this in Numbers 33. Numbers 33, Moses lists out the journey there. And if you were to look at this journey that they took from Egypt to the wilderness of Sin, the 15th day of the second month after their departure from Egypt is only 30 days. 30 days, one month. That's how long they've been in the wilderness wilderness now. One month in the wilderness after God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. What does God do? God provides water for them to drink. But then look at verse 2. Notice what it says there. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And now God's just provided water for them to drink. And they continue grumbling because they wanted the abundance of meat and the bread that they used to eat back in Egypt when they were enslaved. 30 days into this journey. And after God delivered them from slavery by a miracle, here they are, One month into this, and they are grumbling. But God, being gracious and merciful, what does he do? Look at verse 6. He actually provides for them. And in verse 6, it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord, and what are we that you grumble against us? Then notice what Moses says to the people in verse 8. Verse 8, Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your groanings are not against us, but against who? Against the Lord. Your grumblings are against the Lord. God says... I hear your grumblings, and even in their grumbling and complaining, what does God do? He still provides for his people. He shows compassion and mercy. And although their grumbling and their complaining was directed at Moses for leading them out into the wilderness, Moses reminds them that their grumbling is not against Moses and Aaron, but it's against who? It's against God against God you see any time that we grumble and complain who are we grumbling and complaining against we're complaining against God against the sovereignty of God in our lives and think about Israel at this point all the things that God has done 
up to this point in saving them from the Egyptians, providing for them in the wilderness, and yet they were a disgruntled bunch of people. You think they would learn their lesson and that their grumbling would stop, but it doesn't stop there. Look at chapter 17. Notice what it says in chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people, notice this, quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they, noticed this, grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? In fact, look at how bad their grumbling even gets. Look down at verse 4. Notice what it says there. As Moses prays to God in verse 4. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. One commentator says, quote, when he says to the Lord, there is a danger here for me of being stoned, you can be certain that was, in fact, a real possible threat. Moses did not know what to do. He never wanted this job in the first place, and now that he had it, he's leading a group of people who are criticizing, complaining, and threatening him, end quote. This is how bad their grumbling had gotten. This is where their grumbling had gotten them to. It had turned into threats against Moses' life. And what did they not have at this point in the wilderness? What are they asking for? They're asking for water. Notice what he says back up in, in verse 1. According to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Again, there's no water. But remember, just three days after they had left Egypt, what did God provide for them? Water. And here they are again, being tested. And instead of learning a lesson from the last time that they were thirsty and trusting God to provide water for them, they grumble against Moses, which is actually grumbling against who? Against God. They're grumbling against God. What did God do with this grumbling bunch of people? Did he wipe them out? Did he take the millions of Israelites that were there and just completely wipe them out? I mean, look, Israelites, have you not seen what I've done for you? How I provided for you water already? And now here you are again, grumbling and complaining about not having water? What could, what could God have done at that point? Wiped them all out. Done with these people. That would probably be our fleshly tendency, right? <laughs> to say, hey, I'm done with them. But what does God do? God is gracious, and he provides water for them. 
Moses struck the rock at Horeb. And God provided water for this grumpy bunch of people called the Israelites. Now at this point, the people of Israel learn their lesson not to grumble and complain against God, right? <laughs> Wrong. In fact, what happens, you study the history of Israel, Israel stays at Sinai for almost a year where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and other laws and commandments for Israel to obey. And during this stay at Sinai, the, Israelite, the Israelites had tremendous blessing from God as he provided for them there. One commentator says this about them. Israel had been ordered, organized, cleansed, separated, blessed, taught how to give, reminded of God's deliverance, given God's presence, and the tools to advance to the promised land. Because where is God taking them? To the promised land, to the land that he promised to give them. And he's provided everything for them. To go to the promised land, to go and conquer it. And during their stay there at Sinai for almost a whole year, God had given them so much. He provided so much for them. But since they were still parked at Sinai, they're not at the promised land yet, right? So God commands Moses and tells them that they need to pack up camp and leave Sinai and head over to the land that God had promised them. And so we see this next movement in Israel's history in Numbers chapter 10. Turn over in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. Now let me just set the scene for you here in Numbers 10. In Numbers 1 through 10, things are going well for Israel in the wilderness at Sinai. As they're camped there at Sinai. The tabernacle's been constructed. The priests have been established. So there's the priesthood. The presence of God was with them. They've been celebrating, uh, they even celebrated their first Passover since leaving Egypt there in Sinai. But it's amazing how fast blessing and obedience can turn into complaining and rebellion. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. In fact, look at Numbers 10, 33. Notice what it says there in verse 33. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord, that is Sinai, three days journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. Who's leading them? God is. God's leading this people out of Sinai. And they're three days now from the blessing and the obedience of Sinai, and they're heading to Kadesh. Look over at Numbers 11, chapter one, uh, verse 1. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1. It says this, Now the people became like those who, what? Complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. One commentator says about this verse, with this blunt introduction here in, in verse 1, the constant emphasis of obedience to the word of the Lord found throughout the first 
10 chapters of Numbers suddenly comes to an end. It suddenly comes to an end. And their attitude becomes one of grumbling and complaining against God. Three days into their journey from Sinai to Kadesh. In fact, what's interesting here is that the Hebrew word here in verse 1 of chapter 11 could be translated this way. The Net Bible, in fact, translates verse 1 this way. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the NASB, it says, now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. But that Hebrew there could be translated, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Now remember what we studied a couple weeks ago in Philippians 2.13. As we talked about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us both to work and to will for what? For his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. What is it that pleases God? Our sanctification. Our sanctification pleases God. Notice what it says here in Numbers 11.1. When the people complained, it did what? It displeased the Lord. It displeased the Lord. When we obey the will of God for our lives and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is that that pleases the Lord. It's sanctification in our lives that that pleases God. But when there's grumbling and complaining from His people, Numbers 11.1 tells us that it displeases God. Look down at verse 4 of Numbers 11. Notice what it says there. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except what? This manna. This manna that God provides for them from heaven. And they're grumbling and complaining, saying, oh, if we could just go back and have the fish that we used to have in in Egypt. If we could just go back and be slaves again. Yeah, but God has provided manna for you. (laughs) What's interesting here is that the rabble there in verse 4 Those are non-Israelites who left with the Israelites out of Egypt. They were Egyptians who said, we want to go with you. And so they went with them. But notice what their heart was like. Greedy. Greedy desires. They become greedy and then the sons of Israel begin to complain Because they want the meat and the fish that they used to have back in Egypt instead of the manna that God had provided for them. Which, I'm sure if we were able to taste them, we would choose the manna. (laughs) Because it comes from God. Look down at verse 10. Notice what it says there. 
Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. Not only did the people's grumbling displease God, but it also displeased who? Their leader. Their grumbling displeased their leader. Then Moses even begins to complain to God in verse 11. Notice what he says there in verse 11. He says, why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? God, do you hear their They're murmuring, they're complaining, they're grumbling. God, why have you laid all of these people on me to lead them? In fact, the people's complaining is so hard on Moses that notice what he says in verse 15. Look at this in verse 15. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. Take me out, Lord. If I'm it, if I'm the one who's got to lead these grumbling people, God, just take me out. I'll go be with you. It'd be better. Just kill me at once. If I found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses is, is essentially, he's murmuring to God, complaining to God, saying, God, Kill me. I can't take it anymore. One commentator says their complaining was discouraging him so that because of this great burden, Moses desired death from the hand of the Lord. It's amazing what grumbling and complaining will do, right? So what does God do for Moses? Well, God gives Moses 70 men of the elders of Israel to help Moses lead these people. God says, okay, I I hear you grumbling and complaining, Moses. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to put them upon 70 men who are going to lead these grumbling people along with you. (laughs) But then look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Notice this in chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke out against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. What happens here? Now you have Moses' own family complaining against him. Grumbling and complaining against him. His own sister and brother were grumbling against him because he had married a Cushite woman after his wife, Zipporah, had died. And they begin to question his leadership. Grumbling and complaining. So what does God do? God strikes Miriam with leprosy and she has to stay outside of the camp for seven days. That's what God did with a grumbling sister. (laughs) Gave her leprosy. Put her outside of the camp for seven days. 
Once she was healed, then the Israelites would continue on their journey toward Kadesh. And once they arrived there, Moses then sends out 12 spies into the land of Canaan. They arrive at Kadesh. Then Moses gets 12 spies to go send them into the land of Canaan. We see this in chapter 13. Turn over to chapter 13. In verse 17, notice what he says there. When Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there to the Negev, and then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. And so what did the spies do? The spies go into the land. They gather some of the fruit of the land. And they report then to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of Israel all the things that they saw. They come back with a report. And here is their report. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Good report. What does Caleb have there? Faith in God. Trust that God is going to get them into the land. God's going to conquer the land for them. They're going to overcome it. But look at what it says in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are a part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. It's too great for us. We can't do this. Caleb brings back a good report and says, no, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to go take this land. But these other men, except for Joshua, bring back a bad report. And look then at the response of the people when they heard this report from these ten men who came back with a bad report. Look at chapter 14 and verse 1. Notice what it says there. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept at night. All the sons of Israel, notice this, grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And at once, 
the grumbling begins. In fact, look at how it even affects their thinking. Look at how it affects their grumbling and their complaining affects their thinking. Look at what it says in verse 4. So they said to one another, they said to one another, this is murmuring that's going on. Murmuring that's going on amongst the people, saying to one another, as if God's not hearing what's going on (laughs) and what they're saying. But notice what it says there. They said to one another in verse 4, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. They want to go back to Egypt. Where they were slaves to the Egyptians and treated poorly by them. They want to go back to Egypt instead of trusting God and continuing to see what God was going to do in their lives. Think about this. What have they already experienced and seen with their own eyes on their journey so far? God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea for them. He gave them water to drink. He gave them food to eat, both meat and manna. He even protected them in the wilderness from the Amalekites when they were camped at Rephidim. God had given them the commandments. They had celebrated the Passover. They have the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God leading them on their journey. And now they want to get rid of Moses and go back to Egypt. Grumbling and complaining. What are they really doing in their grumbling? They're not grumbling and complaining against Moses, although they are verbally. What are they doing here? They're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against God. In fact, one commentator says, about this word grumbling, it is paralleled in the literature with the word to rebel. The murmuring is like a parliamentary vote of no confidence, for they no longer trusted their leaders and wished to choose a new leader and return. The heart of rebellion. In fact, this is what Joshua and Caleb stand up and say to the congregation of Israel. Look at chapter 14 and verse 9. Notice what it says there. They say, Joshua and Caleb say this to the people, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Look, don't rebel against God and go back. Their grumbling and their complaining showed that they had a rebellious heart against God. They didn't trust Him. They didn't want to obey God. And they showed all of that through their grumbling and complaining. God then addresses their grumbling and complaining down in verse 26. Notice what it says there. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? 
I've heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they're making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. What does God do with these grumbling people? He gave them exactly what they wanted. He gave them exactly what they wanted. Remember what their grumbling was back in verse 2? As they grumbled and complained there in verse 2, they said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Guess what God says? You're going to die in the wilderness. You're not going into the promised land. Except for Joshua and Caleb. They trust me. They can see my mighty hand at work. They're going to go in. And instead of trusting God, these Israelites complained against him and his plan for them. And they wanted to die in the wilderness. And God gave them their wish. None of these people who were 20 years and older entered the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. Warren Wiersbe says this, Out of their own mouths, God passed judgment. Be careful what you say to God when you complain because he may take you up on it. God is not pleased with grumbling and complaining. Now turn back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 14. Paul says this, do all things, all things, that's everything, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Puts context to this verse here, doesn't it? To see what God thinks about grumbling and complaining. And I pray that learning about the history of Israel and their sin of grumbling and complaining gives us new light to this verse. When we read this verse here, as God commands us, do all things without grumbling or complaining. You see, Paul is writing to the Philippian church. He's writing to believers here. And as we've been studying Philippians chapter 2 in the context of of chapter 2 there. What is the context? It's all about what? Unity. Unity in the body of Christ. He wants there to be a church that is unified. A church that is growing in sanctification. A church that is considering or regarding one another as more important than themselves. 
But Paul knows that one of the quickest ways for a church to become disunified is to stop and to stop growing is when God's people begin to grumble and complain. It'll divide a church real fast when people begin to grumble and complain. Church, we should be grateful for the example that the Israelites have given to us, right? So we, we can look back and learn from them so that we don't commit this sin ourselves and then bear the consequences of it. We should be grateful for Israel who went through this and for God's word that speaks to our hearts and shows us how we are to live as lights in this dark world, which is what we're going to talk about more next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is all breathed out by you. It is God-breathed, it is inspired, and it is the word by which we are to live by. Father, we thank you for the example of the Israelites that we can look back on and see what it is that you command us to do and how you command us to live. Father, may we not be a people who grumbles or disputes, but may we be a people who are unified and are being sanctified by you, growing by your word as you do your work in us. Father, help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, that we might live lives that are pleasing to you. Father, may we not do any of this for our own glory, for our own self-glorification. Father, but help us to deny self, take up our cross daily and follow after you and live out these commandments that you've given to us in your word out of a heart of love for you. We thank you that you love us and that you care for us, and that you give us these commandments for us to follow because of your great love for us. Father, help us to love you in return and to live this out in obedience for your glory alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.